Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Minds on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today I'm once again speaking with Becca Boswell, supervising psychologist at the Princeton Center for Eating Disorders. Today we talk more about weight bias and its effect on mental health. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation and find it helpful. So what are some other like incorrect assumptions about people living in larger bodies? Uh, I think there's, you know, an unfortunate social attitude that body size seems to be something that people think is controllable in some way. And so if body size is controllable, then folks who are in larger bodies would not have as much control, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the, the way that thinking goes. And I think that is really, again, missing the science of how controllable weight is and all the factors that influence what a person's body size is mm-hmm. really you know sustained weight change is not possible for most people there are so many biological processes that are involved in setting a body's most comfortable weight that i think that belief that body size is controllable really again if we're thinking of villains for the story um <laughs> is more a message that you know the weight loss industry and mm dieting companies promote rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, having clear evidence from a a medicine perspective. So what does the research say about sustained weight loss? Uh, Sustained weight loss is basically impossible. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So there's lots of biological factors that are involved. The bodies have set points uh, that where the body is functioning exactly as it should be. And that can be very much genetically um, and Mm -hmm. biologically determined. And there's very little that folks can do to shift that set point. There's also a ton of physiological adaptation that prevents sustained weight loss. And so bodies, as they're getting less nutrition, become more efficient and physiologically adapt to having less nutrition and so if you move the mark a little bit, it'll your body will move it even more. And that's a really clever biological mechanism to prevent bodies from, you know, dying of starvation. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it means that our bodies fight a lot against food restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, they require less fuel and also pay a lot of attention to any signal in the environment that would mean that food's readily available. And I think there's, you know, another piece to it, which is how much someone's life would have to be structured around like sustained weight change um, in order to continue that kind of lifestyle. And so, Mm -hmm. for example, there's um, a a weight control registry uh, as part of the diabetes prevention program. That's the folks that achieved some behavioral weight loss and, and, sustained it over time. And the the folks that were able to do that are monitoring what they're eating every single day. Yeah, right. And engaging in regular exercise every single day, Mm -hmm. right? Like really structuring their lives around maintaining this change in a way that can really take away from other parts of life. And, you know, the question is, how much health benefit are you actually gaining from this compared to all the stress of engaging in these changes day in and day out. Yeah. And what does that stress do to your body? Right. And, you know, right. I mean, I don't know, just a random thought that I had, but yeah, that feeling of, of stress and I have to do this, I have to get this because, Hey, full disclosure, I've definitely gotten myself in that mindset in the past. Like uh, I have to go to the gym this many days a week. I have to eat 
something healthy. And it, it really can feel, I don't know what the best way to say this is, but like, I can feel the change in my mind and my body when I'm thinking that way, which I know doesn't do good things for me. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? I think about it as kind of like getting rid of the option of being spontaneous. Yeah. Right. Mm. There's like so much structure and so much like monitoring of yourself and like thinking mm -hmm. about how you're engaging in every single thing that it really takes a toll um, over the, the weeks. And if it's something that people maintain for a long time over the years, right, it becomes mm -hmm. a, a huge part of your every day. That could be anything else, right? It could be time with the kids. It could right. be, you know, time doing a fun activity, learning to play guitar, right? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Planning a trip. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to have so many other things going on, but then also be focused on eating healthy or be focused on exercising or it's just, it's hard. <laughs> and It's really hard. Yeah. I think part of that too is that there are so many mixed messages about what eating healthy or exercising appropriately actually is. True. Yeah. And I think that that message is so obscured because there are so many like fad diets or like approaches that people say, this is the one that's yeah, going right. to give you perfect control. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And really what bodies need are, you know, diverse nutrients with like enough of them to make your body have enough fuel for mm. the day to day. And some like moderate activity that helps your body feel stronger and like more able to engage in like fun movement that yeah, you enjoy, yeah. right? Not just all that punishing stuff that people can can do. Yeah, I've never themselves. heard of that um, diet or exercise fad before, which is yeah. what you just said. Get a moderate amount of exercise and um, eat a variety of things that help fuel your body. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, like, it's doesn't that sound nice? Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah. What if it were enjoyable and not torture? Right. Exactly. Okay. There's this idea that people in larger bodies sort of have poor self-control, right? That's that's what you were talking about. But really what you're saying is that that's not true. And the body, uh, and really there's very little you can do to sort of control your body's natural way of being. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that message that people in larger bodies are lacking in self-control is something that is pervasive in media, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at media depictions of people in larger bodies, they're often, you know, their heads are cut off and it's just focused on their midsection or yeah. they're engaging in stereotyped activities like eating potato chips or like not moving when really, you know, people in larger bodies are people who have a variety of things they like to do. And, you know, if we think about, again, the idea that, you know, this new movie with Brendan Fraser might be contributing to that conversation. I'd be really curious, you know, when I eventually see it, mm -hmm. how diverse the experience they're portraying of being in a larger body actually is, right? Like, is he living a day-to-day -day life or are there really tortured scenes around eating and movement that would contribute to that stereotype? Right, yeah. Hey, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Neither one of us have seen it yet. We'll see. That's true. You know? We'll see. <laughs> you don't sound overly <laughs> confident. Okay. So those are sort of two assumptions that people make. Is Are there any others? Um, I mean, I think there's sometimes an assumption, too, that people in larger bodies um, couldn't possibly have eating disorders. And mm. that only happens in people with small bodies. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely not the case. 
you know, even at our inpatient unit, uh, we see folks in larger bodies with really severe anorexia or, you know, difficulty with all different kinds of eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. And you can't really tell who's ill with an eating disorder just by looking at someone. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, look, just thinking about myself, that's definitely the image that pops into my mind of someone with anorexia is not someone living in a larger body. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, certainly the representation of what eating disorders historically have been, right? Like mm-hmm. people talk about like the the stereotypical eating disorder patient as like the white, thin, adolescent yeah, female. Right. But really they affect people of all ages and all sizes and all genders and all racial and ethnic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, if we think about body image related pressures, uh, people in larger bodies are experiencing all different kinds of, you know, bullying and microaggressions or outright hostility from people in their day to day lives. Mm -hmm. That certainly takes a toll on self image and can lead to eating disorders in people of all sizes, but it's certainly happening for a lot of folks in larger bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we we sort of take all of this that you just talked about. And then I guess the question that I have is like, what can people do about it? Or like, what can we do about all of these things that you were just talking about? Is, is there anything that we can do? Is there anything individuals out there who maybe are struggling with some of this stuff can do? Absolutely. You know, I think that one of the things that can be really helpful in trying to understand like weight bias and, you know, health recommendations is to take a step back away from, thinking about how people look or Mm. what body sizes and having that be an indicator of health and thinking instead about the idea that people can be healthy at every size, right? That there's, Mm. you know, focusing on health and movement and like comfort in the body at all sizes can really be a much more realistic approach. And I think there's actually, you know, a growing movement around thinking about health at every size, you know, stepping away from recommendations of weight change entirely mm-hmm. and thinking about healthful behaviors people can engage in. So that idea of having lots of different kinds of nutrients in your diet and moving in an enjoyable way mm-hmm. that can happen for folks of all sizes. Yeah. So focusing less on like, say, calories, but more on, hey, what what nutrition am I getting from this food? Yeah. What is this food doing for you? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, is it, you know, helping your brain uh, function really well, right? Right. So brains need a lot of glucose, right? Is it helping your legs be strong? Right. Is it helping your heart pump you blood? You know, I just have this. Are you getting all. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm really sorry for interrupting you. I told you I wasn't going to talk on this podcast that much. And here I am interrupting (laughs) you. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. No, no, not at all. It's fine. (laughs) No, but I just had this cool idea, like the nutrition facts on like the side of a, whatever, a box of granola or something. What if instead of like listing the calories, the sugar, the salt, the sodium, et cetera, it, it said exactly that. Like what, what is eating this food basically going to do for you? give you energy. Oh my gosh. You know, help with your thyroid functioning. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That would be a dietitian's dream. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And say like, this is what's going to be like so helpful for your heart rate, right? It's going to help your heart pump so fast and do so good. And you can run this far. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. But anyway, it sounds like really trying to sort of shift the focus from, 
that nutrition facts label to more of that that other piece? What's it going to do for you? Yeah. What can this food do for your body? Right? Mm-hmm. What can this activity do for your body? Mm-hmm. And like, what can your body do for you? Right. This everyone has one body. It's the only one they have. It's the thing that gets you from A to B. It's the the thing that helps you experience the world. And isn't that amazing that this body does all those things for you? What else? What else can people do? Um, you know, I think that as a society, we're so conditioned into thinking about how people look, right? And mm-hmm. appearances and having that be a basis of some of our judgments or understandings of people. And, you know, I think that body size is one of those areas where it's still acceptable to comment on that, mm-hmm. right? To say, mm-hmm. uh, to comment on someone's size or to notice shifts in someone's body. Um, and I think that that is, you know, in a lot of ways, much more harmful than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um that it's sort of enforcing that idea that a body size is something that's an important quality of someone, right? Rather yeah. than all of their internal qualities and all the things that they think and feel that are fully separate from how they look on the outside. And some of those appearance comments, even though well-meaning ones, can have a really damaging effect on people uh, who have struggled with their eating or their bodies or for young kids who are, you know, learning from adults about like for them to have a body and how people feel about bodies in general. Wouldn't it be nicer for a kid to grow up having people comment on how bright their smile is and like how, how they, how small they are compared to their peers or Mm -hmm. how big they are compared to their peers. Mm. Yeah. I guess I just have this thought that like, (laughs) but this is random, but recently my, my daughter's definitely sprouted up, right? Like she's getting so much taller and everyone's making comments about it, including myself. So now, now I'm sitting here wondering if I'm screwing up my kid, you know? Oh gosh. (laughs) Well, you know, I think that, you know, a single comment doesn't like make or break life. Oh, that's good. Good. Thanks. But those like (laughs) developmentally sensitive times, right. Where like people have growth spurts at different rates and stuff like that. That can feel really awkward for a kid. True. And sometimes like letting kids come to you with their experiences of like comparing their bodies and talking about how all bodies are different and what are all the good things that your body's doing for you now that you're bigger and stronger might be a nice way to talk about it. Yeah. But also, I mean, I guess I'm thinking, I think what you're saying and correct me if I'm wrong is basically, I guess just being more mindful about how you talk about this stuff, period. So like if I... I've definitely done this before where like I know someone was trying to lose weight and then I see them and I can definitely notice a difference in their appearance and I'll say oh you look great you know what how you how you feeling what what did you do different that kind of thing but that's not necessarily the best thing to do yeah it's often more more harmful than it is helpful Mm mm-hmm So we don't know what people's experiences around bodies and eating have been like in their lives just by looking at them. Right. We don't know, even if we know like someone that's, you know, intentionally trying to shift their body weight for, you know, a health reason or the weight loss is incidental compared Mm -hmm. to like some other changes that they're making uh, for their health. You know, we don't know if other people in the room have their own histories and Mm -hmm. that's just something that's really hard for them to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, even individuals commenting on their own bodies can be something that kids pick up on, right? They're mm. like little sponges. Yes. So trying to be really thoughtful around um, 
commenting on all the things that you really value in another person mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. right? Rather than things that you just see on the surface. Right. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And also I was thinking like, what if in that example, what if, you know, they lost all this weight and that was their stated goal, but then, you know, in a few weeks, the weight comes back. They're not going to be hearing those comments anymore. And that's probably just going to reinforce whatever negative idea they have associated with that. Exactly. And it's more likely than not that that would happen, Mm -hmm, right? That these kinds of like, um, the superficial changes we can make in the short term to body size by following, you know, a diet recommendation or something like that really are not sustainable in the long term. So it can mm-hmm. just build this sense of feeling like a failure. Like, why didn't I have enough self-control to keep this up when really there's, you know, your body's fighting against it with every ounce of its being, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't feel comfortable at a size that's not natural for your body. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, I'm thinking about body image and, and weight bias and all the things that we've talked about. And I think I have a pretty good idea of, or, you know, I have some experience with what anorexia looks like, with what bulimia looks like, etc. The one that I think I get tripped up on a little bit more than the others is binge eating disorder. So how does that sort of tie into all this? Yeah, so binge eating disorder is one of our, our newer diagnoses uh, for eating disorders. It used to be sort of clustered in this, like, we don't really know how to categorize this category. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, growing in our evidence about it. So it makes sense that we're, you know, still catching up. But binge eating disorder is a very diverse diagnosis. And so it uh, has one of the, you know, most like racial and ethnic diversity of eating disorder diagnoses. It's like, there's much more gender parity in binge eating disorder. And there's you know, a wider range of body sizes of people that have binge eating disorder. And I think some of the the treatment approaches to binge eating disorder, because of the body diversity of the people in that sort of category or cluster, mm-hmm. have sometimes come at it from like a, a weight loss perspective. Mm, yeah, um, you know, if sure. we create structure for people and help them lower their weight, maybe the binge eating will stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, we're growing in our awareness of how that can be really a a dangerous and a tricky path, right? That just because someone is in a larger body um, doesn't mean their eating disorder is less serious Mm -hmm. or less deadly. And doesn't mean that they're, you know, not malnourished by some of the weight loss recommendations that uh, well-meaning providers from that other side of the sort of perspective could Mm -hmm. recommend. Um, and for a lot of folks with binge eating disorder, there's, you know, a process of helping them figure out what their body actually needs for nourishment um, and how that can often be different than the recommendations of weight loss minded providers and that their bodies aren't healthy at a smaller size where right? they need to be where their bodies feel comfortable. And that means appropriately nourishing themselves um, mm-hmm. for what their body needs are to prevent that binge eating from happening. Those weight loss minded providers that that might come at it from that perspective when they're trying to help one of these patients, you said that can become problematic. What kind of problems could come up doing it that way? Yeah, well, you know, binge eating is really in a lot of ways a natural response of the body to being undernourished, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, um, those physiological adaptations um, that the body makes when it's not getting enough nutrition. So that food becomes, 
even more enticing, right? You can smell it more strongly. You can see it more strongly. And uh, parts of the brain literally shut down in the context of like being presented with food. It like really limits the amount of control that people are possible. It's possible for people to exercise around food. So there's, you know, really good research in like folks of all body sizes based on um, that look at like how fast they pay attention to food cues, for instance, and Mm. people of all body sizes who are hungry pay attention way faster. (laughs) And so if we think about the same thing for folks with binge eating, right? If they're not having an appropriate amount of nutrition for their body, their body will pay attention so much faster. It makes Mm -hmm. it so much harder to resist. And that loss of control experience is really meant to sort of like maximize the prevention of starvation by the body, right? Mm -hmm. So it's trying to make sure that if there's nutrition available, that it's fully consumed um, so that the body doesn't starve. And so having those behavioral weight loss minded recommendations are likely, you know, reinforcing that idea that the body needs less than it actually needs. Right. It can maintain some of that binge eating. And I think it also really um, sets a precedent for, you know, a challenging message around what the the values in that treatment would be, mm-hmm. right? Like whether it makes sense to agree with someone's weight loss goals uh, for someone with binge eating in the context of an eating disorder. Right. Right. If, if we know that weight loss is often very stressful, very challenging, metabolically very complex and unlikely to succeed, wouldn't it be more appropriate to help someone feel more acceptance in their body where it is totally. and appropriately nourished and caretake for their body right. instead of pushing it in directions that are not feasible? And it sounds like they're really... They- the sections of the brain that are responsible for sort of putting that stopgap in really kind of shut down is what you're saying for people with binge eating disorder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, for all people really, Mm -hmm. you know, when your body is not getting enough nutrition, the body's very smart Mm -hmm. (laughs) at finding ways to help you not starve. Well, it makes Um, sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's really a very clever physiological adaptation that our brain does to, uh, reduce the capacity for resisting temptation of food items when you're hungry or when you're malnourished to sustain a body's functioning. Mm-hmm. All right, Dr. Boswell, I think we're going to let you go. Thank okay. you so much for coming on and talking to me. I had a great time and I learned a lot specifically about the history of BMI and dorky scientists that came up with BMI and how terrible that all was. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) Um, No, but that was awesome. And I would love to have you on again. Yeah, anytime. I'd be happy to join. This was super fun. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure.